Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and uh, this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. The tech edition, which we don't dive into tech too much because that's... This is Jay Strick and uh, Lauren's uh, territory. Yeah. And frankly, we're a little scared of them. Our cohorts at Tech Stuff, they do a great job. Sure. But we've gotten so many requests for this topic that we were like, you know, we got we got to satisfy the Stuff You Should Know fans. We don't want them showing up with torches <laughs> led by Mo the bartender at our door. Exactly. You know? You know, this might be the most requested of all time, possibly. Oh, you think? I think it might be. Damn. I can't think of another one that, that comes to mind that was maybe like Mormonism. Yeah, Mormonism. Scientology. And I, I see uh, accents a lot. People want to get to the bottom of accents. And that would be a good one. Yeah, we need to do that at some okay. point. Once we you want to do that now instead? Crikey. <laughs> That's good. I could do how bad accents work. Do uh, do Italian. <laughs> no, I'm not to your monkey. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. It's not that I think you're my monkey. I know. It's that you do um, accents way better than me. I'm well, just a fan, man. No, meaning that I tr- attempt them and do them poorly, where you, you don't even attempt them. So I've technically, that's Clinton, better. And it is off the charts. It's not bad. <laughs> so, Chuckers. Yes. You know much about Monty? Um, not much. No? No. I know that I got a few pennies in the bank, and that's about it. I oh, know how that works. Okay. Well, we've talked about money before, haven't we? Where, where was it that the first currency well, we did was... a lot of financial stuff. There was something we did recently where we were talking about how Mesopotamia had oh, the yeah, first yeah. system of, uh, wasn't it like the first coinage? Yeah, in China, of course, too. Yeah. But um, nowadays when we think money, here in the U.S. at least, and in Canada, and actually pretty much the world because the world uses dollars. Yeah. Um, we think of paper money or coins. Sure. Printed by the U.S. Mint at the behest of the U.S. Treasury yeah. on behalf of the United States government. Yeah. It's all banks are backed and insured. Clearly, we know that they're covered in case something goes wrong. Yeah, because you and I are covering them, buddy. <laughs> yeah, basically. But it wasn't it, this system that we take very much for granted now of, you know, ones, fives, tens, twenties, hundreds. And then there were some other ones. This is fairly new. It was just the beginning of the 20th century that the Federal Reserve was created. Yeah. Before that, <clears throat> during the Civil War era, mm-hmm. I think maybe even post-Civil War, there was there at more than 8,000 different entities, typically banks, yeah. that were printing their own currency. Yeah. Man, we talked about that. What was that? Was that the barter thing? Maybe so. Yeah. But you're it's right. A, it's a it, new thing. It's a great well to go back to because it's so interesting. Yeah. 8,000. Yeah, and like, you know, if you were a bank, you can just be like, hey, I got a bunch of gold here. Right. I'll print some money based on this and I'm going to put my picture on it or maybe a picture of my favorite horse. This is a Jim McPherson dollar. Exactly. See? <laughs> anyway, um, all that went to the wayside when the Federal Reserve came about and everybody was like, stop. Right. Just the federal government can print money from now on and we're going to back it with gold. And then you know what? We're not going to bag it with gold anymore. Let's just say, you guys believe this has value. We'll yeah. go with that. Well, at that point, everyone was, had bought in, uh, literally and figuratively. So Exactly. So we went from the gold standard yeah. to a fiat currency, which is everybody come make believe that this actually has value. Right. And it actually will have, have value. It's pretty magic. Yeah. And that 
transition to a fiat currency gave birth to what we're going to talk to today or the possibility of what we're going to talk about today, which is Bitcoin. Yeah, which is a real thing right now. It's, you know, will it survive? Who knows? But as of the recording of this podcast, it is super legit. And what, about a billion dollars? It may, in fact, be too legit to quit. (laughs) It may be. Um, I, I didn't see a, a estimated value of all the bitcoins in circulation. I saw that, but it, as we will find out, it fluctuates like on a minute to minute basis. Yeah, it really does. So it, it might wildly. be worth like 25 cents next week. Yeah. Um, but like you said though, the whole thing hasn't crashed. It may be what we're seeing is a bubble and yeah. then another bubble and they just bubbles bursting. Right. But the system hasn't crashed and that's because the system, the theory behind it, and the practice, it turns out, is extremely sound. Yeah. And what's even more awesome about Bitcoin, which is, we should say, the world's first digital, entirely digital, decentralized currency. Yeah. Um, is that it has a great origin story. It's shrouded in mystery. No one knows yeah. who created it. And the things that it's used for can be shady and weird. And it's all just very... You know, some of it's on the deep web, and it's just very yeah. interesting and like uh, salacious. And it's very anarchistic in nature. It's there's no not only is it not backed by any government, it's not issued by any central authority. Yeah, it's part. If you're part of the Bitcoin network, mm-hmm. then you are part of this the authority to issue it. Yeah, and it's actually t- technically it's mathematics that has the authority to issue bitcoins. Yeah, it took me a while to wrap my head around it. Because it's such an entirely new thing. And it's very complex. Yeah. And, well, although it really isn't. Like, when you break it down, that's what I had to eventually figure out. I studied enough where I was like, oh, wait, this is actually kind of simple. And at the root of it all, as, who wrote this? Did Strickland write this? No, this is uh, Nathan Chandler. Um, Chandler points out, at the root of it all, basically, all that you have to do to invent a currency is have enough people say, this is currency. Right. And then you have currency. Whether, like I said, whether it sticks around, who knows? But as of now, there are enough people buying and selling bitcoins and u- speculating and using bitcoins in, well, that's, as trade. Then yeah. it's it's a thing. That's the other thing that gives it value is if, if there's somebody out there who's willing to accept that currency for a pizza, then it has the value of a pizza at least. That's right. All so right. let's talk about the origin first, huh? Uh, sure. The origin, um, back in 2008, a, uh, mysterious pseudonym popped up, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Yep. And we don't know if this is a, a lady or a man or men or women or both. Yep. Could, could be, be a group. A, Who knows? Could be a group, yes. And, uh, they or he or she or it <laughs> published a document that outlined what Bitcoin was said this is a new thing that we or I or me are trying to create. And I believe that person minted the first 50 coins himself or herself or themselves. Yeah, that was 2009. And that document that that he, she, that Satoshi published in yeah. 2008, um, it was really groundbreaking because it, it, it figured out a longstanding problem that was preventing digital currency from being established. And that was... What's to prevent anybody from copying and pasting yeah. the, the code that makes up your digital currency and then using it again and again and again? Yeah. Well, there's one easy way around it. You have a ledger, but you have to have somebody you trust to keep track of the ledger. And what Satoshi came up with and that what Bitcoin does is it makes the ledger entirely public so that everyone 
is working out the ledger. Yeah. And it's actually that process of keeping track of the ledger and who has what coin and what coin's been transferred to whom, uh, that actually mints new coins. Yeah. So we need to step back and explain what's going on here. Okay. Because I think people are already confused. If you don't know what Bitcoin is, you're like, what are these guys talking about? Bitcoin is virtual money that you can now use online Mm -hmm. to buy and sell things. And there are a number of retailers that are accepting this. Um, It's not just the deep web. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, And now there are even go-between companies that allow you to, I guess they, uh, not transfer, but they convert your real dollars into Bitcoins to, you know, if you want to shop at like Macy's, let's say. Or they, they convert your Bitcoins into real dollars. Bitcoins into real dollars, yeah, right. the other way around. And Chandler points out a good way to think of Bitcoins is it's a digital stand-in for cash because yeah. it's anonymous. Exactly, and that's the big key. So if you want to buy things anonymously or if you are libertarian and you just want to stick it to the government or if you don't trust the government or you don't trust banks, a big thing that um, Nakamoto preyed on was the financial collapse, obviously, and uh, was basically like, hey, look around, what's going on? Right. Like, you're going to trust your money there? Like, why not trust this new thing? Let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. So, basically, if there are a couple of different things you can do. You can either participate as just someone who buys Bitcoins with your credit card or whatever, and then okay, so uses them to shop. Chandler says that you can buy with credit cards, but I saw from a couple of different sources that like most places do not take credit cards. That you either have to give them your bank account or else figure out a way to pay cash, like using MoneyGram. Well, that's been the the more preferred way as of late, but there's still credit card people that'll take a credit card. Okay. So the first thing you need to do is set up set up your wallet, and that is basically your account, your digital account, and then you buy bitcoins. And they are in your account, and you use them for whoever takes them. Right, and you buy them from like a central currency exchange, probably Mount Gox. Although, we'll talk about them in a minute, too. Right, but they've been handling about 60% of all Bitcoin transactions. Yeah. um, Well, purchases of Bitcoins. You go to Mount Gox, typically. So, like I said, one reason you might want to do this is if you don't trust the banks, or you're tired of the government getting involved in your money, or... If you just want to save some money, because what you're doing is you're skipping middlemen, and so you're saving on a lot of transaction fees. Oh yeah, if you have you ever purchased something overseas through PayPal? No, not overseas. Oh man, it gets expensive. The really? fees do. Bitcoin has no central authority, and you, so there's no bank you're dealing with, so you're not going to be charged the bank's fees. And the transfer companies that do work with Bitcoin. Typically charge like two bucks, three bucks, right? Something like that. So you skip all that, right? You're not paying as many fees. Uh, the wallet is a software program, so it's not like a literal wallet. Obviously, you download your wallet, you've got your little account, you buy your bitcoins, and you can just do that if you want. You can just buy things. You can buy things on the regular web. You can buy things on the deep hidden web. You can also just hang on to them and speculate. Well, that's the second thing you can do. Okay. You can speculate and buy and sell the apparently the Winklevoss twins. The Winklevi? The Winklevi from the Facebook movie uh, in real life. are <laughs> They have like $11 million worth of bitcoins. See, I wonder so how much it. it's worth now and, or how much know. it'll be worth tomorrow. But yeah, they have millions of dollars worth of bitcoins. Yeah, so they're apparently supposedly Bitcoin millionaires that have made their money speculating by buying and selling just like you would a stock, let's say. Right. So that's another thing you can do. The other thing you can do is 
actually participate and mine these coins, which is sounds complex, but it's really not. All right, well, let's get into this, because now we're talking about the Bitcoin network, right? Yeah, it's a peer-to-peer. We should point that out. That's very important. Peer-to-peer network. Right, like BitTorrent or Skype. Yeah, there's no centralized like mainframe running this thing. Exactly. The whole thing operates on the computers of the people who are part of Bitcoin network. That's right. Okay. So the mining is really the most important, and I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up. There's three things, basically, that mining coins, you're creating coins, essentially. Um, you are, uh, well, let, let's get into it. They, transactions are released in six, 10-minute blocks. So every 10 minutes, 25 now coins are released into the system. Well, that's the approximate, about how long it's been taking computers to fi- figure out this mathematical problem. No, they're released every 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Whether or not they're figured out or not, might it might take longer than that. So, okay, well, then you can explain this to me because I was a little tripped up by this, too. Um, so every 10 minutes, the computer that happens to be working on the math problem w- and solves it at that 10-minute part gets the coin. So is it random? Well, I think we need to step back again okay. and explain what these are. It is. It sounds confusing, but it's not. Every 10 minutes, they release what's called a block, and right. a block is essentially a group of transactions across the Bitcoin network. Okay. So it is up to a person, but usually a group of people team up to do this because it requires a lot of computing power mm-hmm. to perform, um, to basically handle these transactions just like American Express pays someone to handle their transactions. I totally got it. I got it. Thank you. This is the, this is what was tripping <laughs> me up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then that block is a group of transactions, right? Yep. And this is the the transactions form the ledger, like who has what coin, what yep. coin got transferred to what person. Like verifying all that stuff. All that takes money. That's the usually those are the fees you're paying, like Amex, to do something like that. Right. Okay. And this uh, this is also encrypted information. Well, yeah, that's the key. So that block is basically a math problem for a computer to work out. And everybody, so every 10 minutes, everybody on the network gets that same block. And whoever figures that out first gets the newly minted Bitcoins. Gets that reward. They call it a reward. I got it. That's pretty much it. So here's the thing, though. It's a diminishing return at this point. Um, They half it every four years? Every four years, the number of Bitcoins that are released after figuring out a math problem is halved. So when it started out, it was 50 and now we just reached the four-year point. 2013 was the beginning of the fifth yeah. year. So now it's 25 when you unlock a, a block. That's right. In 2017, it'll be 1250. So every 10 minutes, they're releasing these coins. So it has two, three functions really. It's a to to satisfy the transactions and you know get everyone working together as a big group to make sure the transactions are good. Yeah, keep the ledger up to date. Keep the ledger up to date. Two, it releases more money into the system. Right. Um, and it's, you know, carefully planned out. So it's not like it's a very steady rise basically over the years. Right. So nobody, so like a, a central bank can't flood the market with more money to devalue what's out there. Right. It's you basically by 2140, they know exactly how many coins will be out there. Yeah. And it will be 21 million on the nose and then that's it. Yeah. It's all controlled. Right. And then the third thing it does is it, it keeps the system secure. Yeah. So that's what mining is in each block. To uh, it's very energy inefficient. Each block to fully satisfy over the course of twelve months takes about ten thousand dollars worth of electricity. I read way more than that. 
I read 150k for 20, per block for 24 hours of hardcore data mining or of hardcore Bitcoin mining. Sorry, costs up to 150 thousand dollars in electricity. Oh, really? Yeah, and okay. that but that's with one of these. There's like certain computers out there that people have set up that they are only dedicated yeah. just to Bitcoin mining because Bitcoins hit like 230 bucks a piece. 25 of those puppies. That adds up, and if you can get more and more and more, and you have computers dedicated to it, then people have they're they're just Bitcoin miners, and they have computer systems, or they're parts of co-ops that divide right. the Bitcoin, right? Well, that's kind of the only way to do it now. They say if you're a single user, then yeah. you have virtually no chance these days. I would imagine because it just takes too much computing power for the yeah. average you know home computer, right? And if you team up, even if you got a great system, if you team up with ten people with a great system, then mm-hmm. you're you know, 10 times as likely. Because that was the other thing. The the number of Bitcoins that come out are halved, right? Yeah. And um, the math problem, the, the encrypted math problem yeah. that is released as a block yeah. becomes increasingly difficult. Yeah. They want it to be hard. Right. That's the whole point. Um, and there was an article, I, I don't know if you read this, that I sent you that right now you can still make money mining. Yeah. But it won't be long because it's a diminishing thing. Right. Before it's going to cost too much in power and hardware to even make it worth your while. So I'm kind of curious how that's going to work out. Yeah, I saw like a, a computer built specifically to mine bitcoins started about six grand on eBay. Yeah, and that's like again the electricity involved is just ridiculous. Yeah, plus if you're splitting 25 bitcoins, I mean that ain't a lot of dough. Right. Well, it depends. Like we'll see. Yeah. Um, so, so that's it. That's the network. That's how the the Bitcoin network functions. Yeah, right. Yeah, cool. And it's beautiful. Think about the elegantness of the figuring out a math problem to unlock new coins is what you're doing to keep the ledger up to date. Right. That's awesome. So, like, it, it's uh, it's providing these three functions yeah. all at once. And not only is it an open ledger, they have open source. Right. So their their code. If you're a programmer, and you know what you're doing, you can actually look at their code and figure it out because it's not like it's not a big deal if you understand their code. Yeah. It's not like you can hack into them. It's very secure on that side of things. But it can also be uh not secure as we're learning. Uh, hackers are now getting into like uh the the like you can actually convert your bitcoins into real cash. Right. And those are the places that are susceptible to being hacked at this point, right? Right. It is. Um, just one more thing about why it's secure or the, in theory. Um, when that computer figures out that math problem that unlocks that block. Yeah. That what they came up with is shared with every other computer in the network to verify that this ledger is accurate. So, oh, and is that a hole? Yes. Yeah, so that's why, uh, that's why it's secure because gotcha. everybody knows, everybody's computer knows what's what, and if there's a discrepancy, then it has to be worked out. That's right. why uh, um, a transfer of Bitcoins, a transaction, can take a, a long time because it has to go across all the network. Gotcha, for verification? Yeah. Huh. All right, well, that's cool. Okay, um, but insecurity. Well, uh, many ways it can be insecure. Like we said, they can hack into, like, when you go to a, uh, like, what's one of the, the places they listed for um, converting back to cash? Um, Bitspend yeah. is one, I believe. And uh, what was the other one? Was it BitPay? Yes, BitPay and BitSpend. They they convert your bitcoins into credit or whatever. And yeah, you can shop anywhere. Whatever or or your local currency. Like if you want to cash them out, yeah. and get your cash back. Right. There are companies that do that, and that apparently is where hackers can get in there. 
Yeah, and they can also get to Mt. Gox, which is the currency exchange, which apparently if you have an account at Mt. Gox, mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, well, this is like a bank. Right. It's not like a bank. And it, whether it's Mt. Gox or whoever, um, th- that's a really bad place to actually keep your virtual currency. Yeah. Because number one, since it's a decentralized system, uh-huh. anywhere where there's a bunch of people's stuff parked, that's a target. And since there are fewer targets, that means that people can get better at better at attacking them. Right, right. So it's a terrible place to keep your your bitcoins. And then also, a lot of those places, a lot of those currency exchanges, if they go under, yeah, your bitcoins go yeah. with them. And that's the thing. Like, and they have your bitcoins are gone. Yeah, they're just gone, and you don't have them any longer. Which is why, if you have a bitcoin wallet or account, you want a physically removable backup of them somewhere, a flash drive or a movable hard drive away from your computer so that if your computer crashes yeah. or Mt. Gox goes under or the Fed swoop in and sees something or freeze something, right. you still have your Bitcoins because you've got that, that account of it on your flash drive. Yeah, up. I would back it up two or three times. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I did read one account of this guy that lost like 800 of them because his laptop crashed. Oh, my God. But it was early on, so he was just like it was no big deal at the time because they were like 20 cents a piece. Yeah. Well, but, um, can yeah. you imagine? No, I couldn't. <laughs> So, I mean, that's one of the dangers of it and one of the risks. Right. So let's talk a little bit about this whole speculation thing and the wild ride of Bitcoin. <laughs> right. Because it's like the Wild West out there so early on. It is. And it's gone from 20 cents at the beginning to a high of about $260 per Bitcoin right. early this year, right? Yep. Uh, in 2011, it went from uh, $30 in the middle, oh, I'm sorry. In 2010, it was worth a few cents. It rose to 30 bucks in 2011, and then it dropped down toward the end of the year to two bucks. Like currencies are not supposed to do that. No, that's and that's one of the big problems. Is like it it careens wildly all over the place because of of speculation. Yeah, some people are attracted to that though. Yeah, like the sure. cowboys are are into that like get rich really quick and get out. Right. But if you're the average person like buying some bitcoins because you really, you know, believe in the anarchistic right. uh, sentiment behind it, then you're you're really at the whim of speculators who can game the system fairly easily. Yeah. Because they're the only ones who know how to do it because the community's small enough. Well, and a lot of financial, you know, gurus say it's a sucker's bet. And it's it's just a bubble maker, basically, is one one way to look yeah. at it, at least for now, because it's too unstable. It's like the Lawrence Welk show out there. <laughs> half of our fans are going, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so the deep web we've mentioned, a lot of people don't know this. I know Matt Frederick of uh, Stuff They Don't Want, you know, like three years ago came up to me and was like, dude, check this out. Yeah. The Silk Road. Yeah. <laughs> and the deep web is a web that's not accessible. You can't go to Google and type in deep web and say, now I'm on the deep web. You have to have, like, special software to take you to this deep web. Yeah, Tor. Yeah, T-O-R. Yeah. And uh, that's a, where bad things go on. It's, well, it's a, it's a uh, I think it's like an operating system that allows you to be entirely anonymous. Right. And, yeah, if you don't have Tor, I don't think you can even get onto Silk Road. But if you did, you, that'd be a really bad decision because Silk Road is where you go buy, well, drugs. Yeah. Um, pretty much anything. I think out of the 30,000 things they offered, roughly 20,000 of them were drugs. Yeah, and this is like there's some dude in Chicago who's got a bunch of heroin for sale. Right. And 
you go use your bitcoins on Silk Road to buy heroin, and he mails it to you, yeah. and your bitcoins are put into an escrow account. Yeah. And then when you say, "Oh yeah, I got my heroin. Thanks, man. I just came out of like an eight day stupor," that the escrow account releases the bitcoins to the guy in Chicago, and that is going on right now. Yeah, but now that guy has a little addendum that says, would you mind releasing before you do all the heroin? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Don't forget. Right. Um, but it's a thing. Like, you can buy, like, whatever you want. You can. There are services that you can hire hitmen. Yeah, this really troubles me. And kidnappers and people to, like, rob someone's house. Or burn down your house for insurance money. Like, that's, you can hire someone and pay them That's called um, Black Market Reloaded, is that Yeah, site? I think so. And then there's another one called the Armory, which is apparently like an arms marketplace. And all of its, all of this stuff would not be possible were it not for Bitcoin. And you can understand that this has really kind of gathered the attention of the, the feds. Yeah. Well, it's attracted more than the feds. The Silk Road actually, as of about two, about a week ago, was mm-hmm. shut down. Oh, really? By a, uh, unidentified hacker basically huh. a, a blackmailer named lance g threatened to crash the site with a uh it's called a ddos uh-huh. distributed denial of service which is i think they basically flood your site so much that it's inoperable right it just crashes right so lance g whoever that is threatened to crash the <laughs> site <laughs> unless they paid five thousand dollars which everyone was like that's a really weird small amount mm-hmm. and so they're thinking it might be either some like not someone that's interested in money, but someone that just wants to see it taken down. Right. And some people speculate that the U.S. government is actually behind that. Well, you know, some people actually speculate that the the U.S. government is behind Bitcoin as well. Oh, really? Either it's some genius economist, some genius mathematician, maybe somebody who works for the government, right? Um, or it's actually like a government project. Huh? That's one of the things. There's a really, really great article called The Rise and Fall of Bitcoin. Yeah. It was from BuzzFeed, I believe, or Wired. One of the two. And um, was it Wired? Yeah. And it's just amazing. It's like a nice long form article. It'll take you a little while to read. And um, it's from 2011. So like it's a little out of date, like the big bubble hadn't happened yet. Right. But I mean, it talks a lot about Satoshi Nakamoto and like who he is or who he could be and all the wild theories running around. But it also gives you a really good explainer of Bitcoin and how it how it operates. And uh, Nakamoto supposedly got out, too, if you believe the story they tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not like sitting on some pedestal getting rich. Supposedly he created this and then said, now it is yours and got out. Right. But who knows? I have to get back to this psyops (laughs) thing that we're working on in the Pentagon. So as of now, the Silk Road is shut down. I'm sure it will pop back up or something like it will um, pretty soon. Huh. You know? So the hacker just basically crashed the site or disabled it? I think threatened to. Or maybe did. I'll have to look into that. I'm not sure if it actually happened. And there was a DDoS attack on Mount Gox as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the the problem is when you don't have any, uh, anything backing your currency, it, you know, the value of Bitcoin just plummeted when that happened because 60% of your transactions were halted. Right. Which is, this is one of the games that a speculator who's very, I guess, hacker savvy or is a hacker. Let's call it that. Yeah. Um, could do to manipulate the value of, of Bitcoin is like attack Mt. Gox 
let the value plummet, and then go to one of the other exchanges that aren't crashed right. and buy a bunch of them there and then just let everything go back to normal and let the value rise once more. It's definitely not stable. No, it isn't. And um, you were saying that the Silk Road got hit by a hacker. Well, the feds have uh, finally intervened. A lot of people have been waiting for this because you can buy drugs, you can get around paying taxes, you can hire a murderer, you can do all these things thanks to Bitcoin, and now the uh, the De- Department of Homeland Security, right? Not even the IRS. Yeah. The DHS froze Mount Gox's the com- the parent company's accounts yesterday. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, this should give you a good idea of how things are not stable. On Tuesday, May fourteenth, that story broke that Mount Gox had been uh, had been. Did they shut them down or did they just? They froze some of their accounts and it was, so a lot of like the transfer companies, the companies that work with Mt. Gox are saying like, we're not doing anything with Mt. Gox anymore. So if you want to make some purchase or whatever, you're going to have to figure out another way or use somebody else. So that happened yesterday. Yeah. At the same time, another story was released yesterday that, uh, a, uh, startup, uh, well, someone who funds startups is investing $350,000 into Bitcoin. Um, they're interested in uh, making it easier to spend Bitcoin currency. They're, e- they're making uh, security better. They think those are good opportunities, basically, yeah, to I make mean, money on. Those are huge problems that this currency has right now. So you know? in the same day, the feds shut down uh, Mt. Gox. One company invested three hundred fifty grand, and yesterday, uh, CNN Money um, global risk strategist Ian Bremmer said, predicted the end of Bitcoin. <laughs> So that just shows you, like, no one knows. Right. He said, I'll be highly surprised if this is around in 10 years. And what he thinks is going to happen is this is the first one. Right. And someone's going to learn Bitcoin will not be around, but something else will pop up that does it better, and that may last. Exactly. Like somebody uh, in one of the articles we I think we researched um, said, you know, BitTorrent wasn't the first P2P file sharing network and Skype wasn't the first VOIP network. Yeah, exactly. So Bitcoin may not be the first one. And there's a lot of rivals just waiting to take over if Bitcoin falls. But the it seems like the precedent has been established and it's been shown like this can work. Yeah. Whether or not it'll be allowed to work is is a big question because, again, the feds can always step in and shut down whatever they want. If, if they want to go after Mt. Gox, they can do that. Well, yeah, and the big boys are already getting involved, of course. Um, Amazon now has Amazon coins yeah. that you can buy for the Kindle network and spend them like money. So you realize what we're talking about is the same thing that was happening post-Civil War in the U.S. when 8,000 different banks were issuing currency? Yeah. That's what we're seeing right now, but in a digital form. This is the beginning of it. It's crazy. It's the Wild West. It's pretty awesome. Um, Aside I- from the Hitman... Yes, <laughs> I don't think I have anything else. I Did hope you we, hear I hope uh, people get it? You know the guy from the lead singer of As I Lay Dying, that metal band. I don't know them. He uh, he got set up uh, trying to buy a murder for hire from an undercover detective to murder his ex wife through Bitcoin. No, or just bag full of cash. Bag full of cash. The old fashioned way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a tough one to get away with. Although maybe. People get away with it when you just never hear about it. Yeah, I, I hope it's a tough one to get away with. It th- that definitely should be hard to get away with. Yeah, I think the the moral of the story is kill someone yourself. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, 
So if you want to know more about Bitcoin, it's it's pretty interesting, and there's a lot of really great writing all over the web about it. Yeah, I would first go to um, our beloved How Stuff Works. Type that word in the search bar. Then maybe start next at Wired. The Economist yeah. has a good explainer. Mother Jones has some good stuff on it. Go check it out. Or check the news feed because literally every day you're going to get some new changing story. Right. It, I mean, by the time this is released, there may not be any Bitcoins. No. In two weeks. Who knows? Yeah. But there will be. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Or else we're going to have to add an ED to how Bitcoin worked. Do you have any? Have you bought any? No. Yeah, me neither. No. I'm no fool. <laughs> Uh, I think I said uh, search bar in there somewhere, so that means it's time for a message break, right? That's right, and then a really good listener mail. And now, Chuck, it's time for listener mail. Thank you, sir. This is from uh, Pink, Chris Pinkerton, who has been a fan of our show from yeah. the very beginning. Yeah. And active on our Facebook page. And a and famous detective. And a good guy. <laughs> That's right. So this is about uh, ECT, our... Uh, electroconvulsive therapy podcast that just dropped in real time. Yeah. And uh, he has a story. While in high school, guys, in Omaha, Nebraska, I met two girls, Gloria and Susan. For about three years, we were inseparable. We would hang out after school, party together. Uh, Gloria and Susan were even closer. And sometimes I was just a third wheel. Another feeling, buddy. Yeah. Uh, the girls, being a year younger than I, stayed in school when I was shipped off uh, to join the Marine Corps. Or not was well, shipped off. He chose to go. <laughs> he shipped out. Yeah. Uh, we lost touch, uh, but then eventually I moved back to Des Moines, Iowa, and I found Susan living there as well. Uh, she informed me that I should call Gloria and fill her in on the missed years. Uh, while I was away, apparently Gloria had a daughter who passed away under terrible circumstances and became very depressed after uh, the loss of her daughter and um, actually had to undergo ECT treatment for depression. Uh, in your podcast, you stated there's slight memory loss, but in my experience... Uh, that is an understatement. Uh, Gloria had no clue who I was, did not remember any of our high school years. Uh, gone were the memories of harassing teachers, making out in the auditorium, and memories of working on my car in shop class. Uh, apparently, she was pretty good with a wrench. So we got to tell her all over again. Uh, yeah. Um, as it turned out, she had forgotten Susan as well, but not as much as she had forgotten me uh, because Susan was there for her throughout the treatment, and Gloria has been able to recall more memories of her due to this. Uh, it's very sad to me that I've lost a friend, yeah. um, not because of intent, but due to a treatment I failed to help her through and failed to understand. Uh, that is one regret I will always have, and it shames me to think that she has no clue who I am and how important to my life she was. Uh, ever since, I vowed to tell people how important they are to me in case they never remember. At least I'll know that I tried to explain that. That's neat. And uh, Pink, let yourself up, buddy. Um, you were in the Marine Corps, you were serving your country, and uh, it was a very unfortunate series of events. And so um, take that off your shoulders, I say. Uh, and Chris goes on to say, uh, enjoy your day, guys. Smile and have fun. Uh, and that is Chris Pinkerton in Des Moines. P.S. Could you tell Jill Marie McFadden that she is the love of my life? I think you just did. Yeah. Absolutely done. Thanks for the words, Pink. He's always super supportive and, like, just a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, clearly. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Pink. Um, that's a, wow. If you have a story that you want to tell us that's almost overwhelmingly depressing, <laughs> we want to hear that. Um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash stuff you should know. You can send us an email to stuff podcast at discovery.com and join us at our home on the web at stuff you should know.com. Yeah. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. With over 100,000 titles to choose from, Audible.com is a leading provider of downloadable digital audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash no stuff, K-N-O-W-S-T-U-F-F, to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today.